0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning and greetings to you from from quarantine land. Feels like a bit of a throwback to be coming at you this way, Uh, but here we are, and thank you for your understanding during this uh, strange time. Uh, You know, one of the questions that's always worth asking during Lent is, what... Uh, got people so upset? What was? What did Jesus do or say that was so enraging to those in his surroundings that they wanted to kill him? What was it that was so um, just absolutely crazy-making about this man that would get people uh, their backs up so much? Well, this morning we have an opportunity to ask sort of a different version of that question, and for almost the flip side— which is what, um, what was, got Jesus so upset that he was willing to almost violate his character. And in, we are told in this passage in John to, to fashion a whip of cords and go into the temple and drive out money changers. We are told that he is driving out sheep and cattle and dumping the sort of, you know, the coins on the ground. A very dramatic scene. And the reason people, just to put it in context, the reason people would go to the temple was not to hear sermons but it was to actually to do business with god to 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 worship god to make right with god make atonement with god so you would go there and the way that you would do that was be you would buy some sort of an animal to sacrifice usually a cattle or a sheep and uh, then you would bring it and it would be slaughtered and you would you would You would go back with a sort of a a sense of of blessing or gratitude or just a demonstration of righteousness that God was with you during this time. And so there were there developed at the temple where this would occur because see God was actually believed God was actually present there, not just uh, sort of God's uh, uh, the priests that God is actually dwelled at the temple. So this is the only place where this could occur and so they developed this entire economy around this situation. And um, in fact, there was a special uh, kind of money that you could that the temple had that you had to convert your own your your money into temple money, and then you could purchase uh, one of these animals. Now, it. it Basically boiled down to something of a pyramid scheme that people were profiting off of the sincere devotion of, uh, of folks who just wanted to worship God as, as best they could and as they were being told to. The exchange rates were awful and uh, you would go in there thinking that you could buy a cattle. In fact, they were told you could only afford a sheep. So Jesus, uh, on make no mistake, there's something quite radical at work here. He is furious at people being taken advantage of. He's especially in the name of God, in the name of the temple. But more than that, there's a sort of a deeper thing where he's incensed by the entire hierarchy of merit when it comes to God. You see, if, 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 if God would be appeased by the larger the sacrifice, well, then those who could afford the larger uh, uh, the, the cattle and the most perfect animals, the most often, well, they were somehow privileged before God. And this uh, seemed to strike at the very center of what uh, Jesus cared about. That this was a perversion of who he saw God to be, and in fact, as we know, as, as God incarnate himself, this was at odds with everything that uh, it was at the core of who he is. Um now when uh he overturns these tables they weren't they didn't have cows standing on tables the tables were the basically the ledgers that was where the exchange rates were calculated that's where the math was done that's where the equivalencies were weighed that is where people would convert their financial merit into spiritual or, or moral merit. So when he's overturning the tables, he's overturning the ledgers. He's t- disassembling the technology with which these transactions could even occur. Now, the, the, if you've been reading... Uh, various newspapers recently there's a, a book out by a philosopher out of harvard named michael sandal called the tyranny of merit and he in fact traces he says that the, the protestant reformation itself was an attack first and foremost on merit and of course martin luther when he was upset about indulgences being sold um so that people could sort of get out of purgatory and that that uh he was, he was using this passage uh, from uh, the book of John as his own inspiration. In fact, on the, the pulpit that he had designed uh, in a, the castle church in Torgau, there, one of the three scenes that he chose to put on that pulpit is Jesus with the, the corded whip uh, cleaning out the temple. But this is not an antiquated uh, situation at all. So lest it sound like we're in the 16th or the first century, it couldn't be further from from that. Uh, If you feel like you can't relate to someone who would, you know, need to make some kind of a sacrifice in order to to claim or to establish their enoughness, uh, their righteousness, well, then uh, you just haven't uh, looked very hard. We all have temples in our lives. We all have places where we've housed our hope and our assurance, things we've erected that we believe will save us, preserve us, places where we go to bargain and barter with uh, the gods to establish uh our identity and our worthiness. Uh now and it it turns out most of those places have have money changers, people ready to profit from our devotion. Just just look at your bank account. Look at where your 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 money goes and uh you will find out that your temple is uh you know the, the your diet or your physical appearance or your temple actually is simply your bank account. Um, there is all sorts of ways in which we harness everyday activities, everyday venues to, to, to make them uh, the arbiters of the same sort of blessing and uh, righteousness that the Israelites would have had when it came to the temple in Jerusalem. So think of your temple as whatever vision of enoughness that you spend your days working toward and using your money to attain and your energy and your hard work. It's like if you, you know, if you eat well enough, love well enough, parent well enough, stay busy enough, you will, you will be enough. But it could be that the temple in your life is something a little less cut and dry. Perhaps it's some, simply some view of yourself as strong or loyal or faithful or healthy or successful. And you do everything you can to shore up that view, to pay the piper, to keep those sacrifices flowing and those stones from tumbling down. Now, in this, a friend of mine calls the pandemic the great reveal, because it has revealed so many things that are unsavory uh, and uh, just awkward about who we are as people. And in a lot of ways, it's 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 revealed to us what where we are worshiping. What, what, what form our temple actually takes? Uh, it, what, what, where our security has been rocked? What did we think we couldn't live without? Uh, it has re- revealed what we've been relying on for security, for example. But it's also revealed things about our character. Maybe we've been trying to uphold a view of ourselves as noble and good, but the pandemic has revealed a selfishness that, is, that has taken even us aback. Or perhaps it's revealed an arrogance, a sort of a a willingness to hold yourself above the rest of society or science or something like that that is deeply troubling to, to, to yourself or to your loved ones. Maybe it's revealed a supreme amount of fear. And faithlessness, uh, perhaps it's revealed something beautiful, like a, like a capacity for charity that you didn't know you had. Uh, I, but I, I'm, I'm struck by how many uh, times the, the, I, people's convictions have been revealed to be skin deep. When they're threatened in any way, we retreat uh, or to, uh, we, we compromise Well, whatever your temple of choice, whatever money changers are currently ripping you off, and they're always ripping you off, and that they're always charging a little bit more than you think. They're always coming back at you with another fee. They're always not not really giving you what you want so that you continue to re-up. Well, Jesus today is here to overturn the tables. He is here to overthrow the tyranny of merit, and scarcity when it comes to God. You see, merit and scarcity don't work when it comes to God. That's what he's trying to tell us. It, because merit and love don't work together. I mean, have you ever? Uh, tried to get someone to love you by constantly telling them all the things you're doing for them or will do for them, Uh, sometimes if you've been on the receiving end of that, it it almost makes you, it doesn't endear you to the person, it makes you sort of want to run away. You see, the, the, the difficult thing about real, true love is that it transcends merit. And yet that is also the hopeful thing about it. My therapist and teacher in life uh, in my 20s was a woman named Dorothy Martin, and we've quoted her from Christchurch Pulpit many times, and she was a child psychologist primarily for 40 years in New York City. And she wrote a book called Beyond Deserving, in which she boiled down the real lesson of her entire career to the following. She said, parental love, and by extension, mentoring love, is authentic and effectual in proportion to the degree that it transcends the commonly assumed principle of the circular exchange, that is to say, this for that. All true love is a stranger to that kind of thinking. The justice or merit idea of reward, according to what is deserved, is replaced by the much more powerful force of non-contingent, compassionate, unmerited alliance with the essential personhood of the other. Now that's the kind of thing that Jesus was after. That is what was at the center of his ministry, of what he in his person was revealing to the human race about God. And it runs counter to all of our schemes and all of our money changing and all of our endless jockeying for merit. I've heard a wonderful example of this. My brothers and I started a podcast recently during the pandemic, just as a way to get to be together while we're very far apart. And uh, my older brother John told the story of one of his closest friends uh, that his 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 mother died, and at her funeral, uh, they they told the story of uh, the best Christmas that their family had ever had. And you see, this was a wonderful sort of a very sweet woman who understood this kind of love that Dorothy Martin is talking about and that Jesus was so in favor of. And, um, they, at this, they, their family was so large that at Christmas they decided to have a white elephant uh, gift exchange instead of a sort of a everyone buys something for everyone. So instead you buy one gift and you put it under the tree and everyone you go through person by person you can either pick a new gift under the tree and open it or you can take what someone else has already opened. Now a few turns in someone opens the gift that the mother had given and it's incredible. It's an all expenses paid trip to Europe and it's people have given other nice things but no thing nowhere near that class of gift and so uh everyone all of a sudden starts jockeying for that gift they start to oppose each other and then there's there's a little bit of uh bad feeling enters into the room and uh then it finally gets around to the mother herself and it's her turn and instead of going for the gift that she's given, who doesn't want an all expenses paid trip to Europe, she goes under the tree and opens a different package and in that package there, is, there are a series of envelopes with everyone in the family's name on them and it turns out they had all been given the same all expenses paid trip to Europe. Now, this is one of these things, this this scrambling and the jockeying and the leveraging and the power and the "Ah, it's mine. No, it's mine. The the needing to get something over and against the other person and wanting to earn it in comparison to your neighbor. Well, it all looks silly in that moment because come to find out they were all in possession of the same gift all along. Now, what this woman was painting a portrait of was the way that God loves you and me, not according to ledgers, not according to spreadsheets, but according to the love that he has embodied in his son, Jesus Christ. You see the ministry, the, 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 the money changes at the temple, they, they erected an elaborate system that made it more and more difficult for people to get to God. And yet the ministry of Jesus is about God coming to you, coming to us, Not at our best when we have the most to offer, the most to convert into moral and spiritual merit, but God coming to us in the midst of all of the unpleasant, awkward things the pandemic has revealed to us about ourselves, about who we really are. And this is the message that Christ came to proclaim, not only with his actions, but with his words, and not only with his words, but with his death. And with his resurrection, that all of the obstacles have been removed, such that not even money, no money changer, uh, no, no, no blemished animal, no sin, not even your insistence on paying is going to get in his way when it comes to loving you. When he is crucified, we are actually told that the veil separating God from people through which these sacrifices are mediated. We are told that it is torn in two, that it is obliterated, that it no longer exists. You see, in his death and resurrection, God has both rejected the economic theory of circular exchange, of this for that, of, of, of when it comes to love. He's not only rejected it, he's fulfilled it. He has offered himself as a sacrifice, as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Which means when we look uh, to him this Lent, what we see is not only a Savior uh, bleeding on a cross, we see the words, All expenses paid. Amen.